All right, guys. Well, today we finish the book of Colossians. Now, when I first started teaching through this book, there were a lot of things that I didn't know. I didn't know who would actually be listening to these videos. You know, my family and I, we moved from Santa Barbara to Palos Verdes to plant a church here. But not being able to plant in the way that we wanted to because of COVID-19. And so we started this way by just putting out videos over social media and wondering if people would actually find them and listen to them. And uh, I'm so blessed to know that there are now people that we have connected with in Palos Verdes who have listened to these teachings and have been blessed by them and are so excited for us to begin uh, this church plant in person, to be able to move from this format and to start uh, in a location with people face to face. And we're so excited for that. I'm going to tell you when that's happening in just a moment. But the second thing that I didn't know about was uh, when and where would we even start? Uh, what location, uh, what building, what place would we have to be on the beach? Would we have to be in a park? What, where would we be? And I, I had no answers to those questions. And yet over the course of these nine weeks, which is mind blowing to me, because really in the grand scheme of things, that's not that long of a period of time. But over these nine weeks, God has been opening an effective door for the gospel that we're going to talk about today in our final study of Colossians. But we had, by the grace of God, these series of divine appointments. I guess that's just what I would call them, these divine appointments where we came in connection with another local church here in Palos Verdes called Life on the Hill. We had these amazing times of prayer and of God literally moving with power by His Holy Spirit in, in our lives together. My life, Leah's life, and the leadership of this church called Life on the Hill. And He moved in such spectacular, amazing ways to the point in which Life on the Hill has made the decision, being led by God's Spirit, that they are going to merge with Calvary Chapel Palace Verdes and, and together we are going to plant this new work here called Calvary Chapel Palace Verdes. And I mean, with this comes three pastors that are so in love with Jesus. With this comes a congregation that has faithfully gathered together for around 10 years loving Jesus in this community in an incredible building that is right in the heart of this peninsula, uh, right across from the Red Onion, if you know that where that is. It's the old Fox Theater, this beautiful location that we're going to be able to now gather as a church. And so on September 27th will be the launch Sunday of Calvary Chapel Palace Verdes. And this includes the leadership in the congregation of Life on the Hill now coming into this new work together with us in becoming one church in Jesus Christ. And it's, it's incredible. So at 735 Silver Spur Road on September 27th at 10 o'clock, Calvary Chapel Palace Verdes will have its opening service. We'll meet in the parking lot until we're able to go back inside, and we're praying that that will be soon. Man, we are astonished by what God has done and how He has made this in His doing. I mean, literally, 
Um, I, I, I couldn't have made this happen. This is God bringing this together, and it's, it's wonderful. So today, also at Life on the Hill Church, um, Pastor Rob is going to be uh, announcing to the congregation this change that is coming and how God's Spirit is bringing us together to be uh, this, this new church in Palos Verdes. And so stay connected with us. I'll be posting that teaching and more information about this wonderful news uh, on our social media, on our YouTube page, and on our website. And you can check out uh, more about that, including a letter from the elders of Life on the Hill and just more awesome stuff about all of this transition. So uh, we have one more section left to go in the book of Colossians. Chapter 4, we're going to pick up at verse 2, where it says, Continue earnestly in prayer. So let's just pray right now. Let's pray and thank God for what he's done to make this uh, all this possible. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for life on the hill and for the faithfulness that they have had in loving and serving you together as a community of faith. And their decision being led by your spirit to become part of Calvary Chapel Palace Verdes and to see your kingdom expand here on the Palace Verdes Peninsula as we now venture forward in faith, asking, Lord, that you would bring an awakening to the church, uh, a renewal uh, to the people here. And God, would you reach the lost? Would you save many people through our endeavor in the gospel? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So it says in verse 2, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, meanwhile praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak uh, the mystery of Christ. Doesn't this sound like what God's doing with our church? For which I am also in chains, which, let's be honest, church, could happen. We thank God for the freedom we have, but Paul was in chains because of the gospel. He says that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So in these final words, Paul exhorted the believers to continue praying and to do it earnestly. Now, prayer is to be the primary work of every believer. Prayer is our direct communication with God. It's literally, I just like defining prayer as talking to God. And so what do you talk to God about? What do you tell him? What do you ask of him? Uh, we should have these conversations with our Lord and to do it earnestly, like, like to have passion and to have zeal and to cry out to the Lord. You know, I like one definition of prayer that I've heard, which is that prayer is soul sweat. That it's like the exercising of the spiritual being that we have within us. So are you exercising that spiritual man or woman that's inside of you? Are you laboring earnestly in prayer? Because guys, we have a God in heaven who inclines his ear to hear what we have to say, what we have to ask. And he does truly, as we're seeing, immeasurably more than we could ever ask for. I mean, the prayers that we've been praying for Calvary Chapel Palace Verdes, God blew the lid off of them and is doing incredible things. 
So why wouldn't we pray? Why wouldn't we pray earnestly for God to do great things in our churches, for him to do great things in our nation, for him to do great things in our world? Because we have a God who is over all. As we've learned in Colossians, he is literally the one in whom all things consist. And so we can talk to God and ask him anything. So continue earnestly in prayer, which this just brings me to just a real practical thing that I want to bring up here, which is that over these last four months, we have been gathering together online for prayer meetings every Sunday night uh, over Zoom. And we're going to be transitioning from that now to having in-person prayer meetings here in Palos Verdes with the people that God has joined us together with. And so if you're in Santa Barbara and you've been faithfully tuning in with us over those Zoom prayer meetings, we thank you. We're going to continue to update you with ways that you can be praying for us. Because as it says there, continue in prayer. Just because God has done these great things so far in this church plant, it doesn't mean that we ever stop praying. We never stop praying. We continue in prayer. So not only are we to continue in it, but we're also to be vigilant in it. And the reason we're to be vigilant is because we need to keep watch since there is an enemy, an adversary that wants to see the work of God destroyed. I, I was talking to a good friend the other day and he just, he, he sometimes speaks very bluntly, but it's just good wisdom. And he said, Daniel, don't be stupid. <laughs> you know, he said, you are a leader that is advancing the kingdom of God in Palos Verdes. Don't be stupid. Be vigilant in prayer because we have an adversary who would want nothing more than to see the work of God brought down, to see God's servants destroyed, and he, he walks around like a prowling lion seeking to devour. So be vigilant in our prayers. I love what Psalm 104 says then about the next part, which is that we're to be thankful in our prayers. It says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. See, thankfulness is the key that gives us access into God's presence and into God's resources. Our thankfulness to God is what allows us to have this, this access to the Lord. He loves a thankful people. He, he doesn't like a grumbling people, a complaining people. Go read the, the Israelites and when they complained to God. But thankfulness, God always rewards thankfulness. Then in verse 3, Paul says that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So first we need to be reminded, right, of where Paul is as he's writing this. He is literally chained to a Roman guard for the sake of the gospel. But he was able to pray this prayer request. He was able to say, hey, pray for me as I'm bound in chains right now for the sake of the gospel, that I would continue to speak, that I would have an open door for the gospel. And we know that Paul used any and every circumstance for the gospel. We know from scripture that those Roman guards that were chained to him over those watches as they kept, kept him guard, that many of them came to faith, that the Roman guards were actually like coming to Jesus and it was having an influence in the government ranks in Rome. 
I mean, that's the kind of prayers that Paul was praying, that in any circumstance, he would have an open door to speak the gospel. Which makes me think of this point here, which is that the gospel must be spoken. You know, we can live the gospel By all means, let people see our good works and our good deeds and give glory to God in heaven because they see the way in which we live. I don't say to diminish our life and our walk with Jesus as an example of the gospel to to people. But we also have to speak the gospel. Romans says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And how shall they hear unless there is a preacher? Somebody has to actually speak up and say, Jesus Christ died on a cross for sins, that he was buried, and three days later he rose from the dead. Like Those are actually words that need to come out of our mouths and not just through our actions. So we need to not only walk the walk, which we do, but we also need to talk the talk. Walk the walk, talk the talk, do both, because that is an effective way for bringing the gospel. So open doors. You know, Revelation says that God opens doors that no man can shut, and he shuts doors that no man can open. So let's pray for those kinds of doors, that God would fling wide the doors of salvation. Pray it in your workplaces. Prayed in the school systems, prayed in government, prayed into families, pray into anywhere that there could be an open door for the gospel to go forth. God is clearly opening up a door for us here in Palos Verdes to bring the gospel to this place. And so, so far we've learned that we need to pray and we need to speak. You know, prayer is speaking to God about people And then evangelism is speaking to people about God. And we need both more now than ever in the church. We need prayer and we need evangelism. If prayer and evangelism would be on the rise in the church today, we would see greater effective doors for the gospel and the mystery of Christ being spoken forth. And lives will be transformed by that. Amen? Well, let's look at verse 5, which says, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. This speaks of the actions of a Christian and the way that we're supposed to walk, which again, I'm, I'm not saying only speak the gospel. You know, only type the gospel on your Facebook page. No, you got to live the gospel by your actions. Outsiders, which is a way of describing Christians, which would say that Christians are on the inside. We're insiders with God. But those who are outside, they don't know God. And so as they're watching our lives, as they're watching the insiders, they need to see our wisdom lived out. And so wisdom, what is wisdom? Well, wisdom is knowledge applied. You know, you can go through the Bible and you can accumulate all kinds of knowledge. You can learn facts about God. But wisdom is the living out of those facts. Wisdom is knowledge applied into our daily living. And so again, both are necessary. We need to talk the talk, we need to walk the walk, and we need to do it with wisdom. Then verse 6, let your speech always be with grace seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, and let your speech be with grace, like like a seasoning of, 
of of a steak, right? In those early days, as Paul was writing, they didn't have good refrigeration systems. And so they would cover their meat and, and their different foods with salt, which would be a preservative, which would keep it from rotting. And so we know that salt is like a preserving agent, but salt also in its modern use enhances flavor. And so both will preach. Right. If you are to have your speech seasoned with grace, it means that your speech will both be a preserving agent and it will be an enhancing agent. Your speech will give life and your speech will keep life. And so then we see in the next verse, verse five, uh, which says walk in wisdom. Well, here's the thing. I. I skipped over this part because I wanted to come back to it, but it says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. What does that mean? I mean, what does it mean to redeem the time? You know, I feel like this whole message could be preached on just those three words. We know what redemption means, right? Because we have received it in our salvation. Redemption means to purchase at a price, to buy something back that was that was sort of maybe taken off into slavery, to buy it back. So if we're redeeming the time, we're buying back our time, which is interesting because every single human being on the face of the earth is given the same exact amount of time. Every single person has 24 hours in a day. Nobody is given more time. Nobody is given less time. We all have the same amount of time, but we all need to understand that people use their time differently. And many people do not redeem the time. They don't buy it back. They, they live idle lives. And maybe it's idle in one of two ways. Maybe it's idle, I-D-L-E, which is that they're not doing anything. You know, they're lazy. They just kind of sit around and waste their time. They're idle. But many people don't redeem the time because they're also idle living, I-D-O-L which means that they are worshiping false gods and going after things that don't truly satisfy them. And they're wasting their time on those things. So whether you're idle living, I-D-L-E, or idle living, I-D-O-L, idle living is never a way to redeem the time. Living for Jesus is the way that we redeem the time. Well, let's look now at verses 7 through 9, where Paul then gives shout outs to the people that were in the church of Colossae. He says, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will make known to you all the things which are happening here. So these two men that Paul mentions as these messengers for him. So Tychicus, there's three things that are said about him. One, he is a beloved brother. He is a faithful minister. And he is a fellow servant in the Lord. I mean, aren't those just three wonderful attributes to have said about your life? Then you have Onesimus, who is also one who is sort of running the message back to the church in Colossae. We know about Onesimus from the book of Philemon. In fact, the whole book is written in order to plead this man's case. And so if you want to learn more about Onesimus, you can go uh, read the book of Philemon. 
Then we see some other people mentioned in verses 10 and 11, where it says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. In Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. So these three more guys that Paul loved and wanted to mention in this letter because they just brought him comfort. I mean, we can't think that Paul was in chains and that he was like just toughing it out. It was hard. And so these guys came and visited him and loved him and and they were just a blessing to him. So you have Aristarchus who was also a, a fellow in the fellowship of sufferings with Paul and with Jesus. I mean, all the things that Paul suffered, Aristarchus was probably right there by his side, enduring the very same conflicts. Then you have Mark, and Mark dropped out probably probably because things got too hard. He's like, this suffering is too much, and so he bailed out on the first missionary journey. And Paul and Barnabas actually had a disagreement in Acts uh, right in the middle there where they went separate ways because of the sake of Mark, whether he should come along on the next missionary journey or not. But later we see that the relationship between Mark and Paul was restored to the point where um, he said he was useful to him in ministry. Clearly he had to give some sort of instruction about receiving him as a brother. And then you have this guy who is named Jesus, who is called Justice. And I guess all I'll say about this is that he shared the same name with his Savior, and that's probably why he picked up the nickname Justice. Well, let's look at verse 12 through 15 at the rest of the people that are mentioned. We see Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ. He greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God, for I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus in the church that is in his house. So just more people, more laborers for the gospel that Paul mentions here. First, you have Epaphras, who was likely the pastor or one of the early Christians of the church in Colossae. He was also a bondservant of Jesus, like the Apostle Paul. Then you have Luke, the physician, who wrote the book of Acts, wrote the gospel of Luke, and man, was just probably such a great companion in the gospel. I just picture him traveling all along with his journal, kind of writing all the things that he heard or that he saw uh, that Jesus did. And then you have Demas. And unfortunately, Demas is mentioned later in another one of Paul's letter. In 2 Timothy 4.10, it says that Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. This is a guy who dropped out because he uh, he wanted to go back after the world. He set his hand to the plow and he looked back. And, you know, we don't know his eternal condition, but what we do know is that this man was once walking with Paul. He was once doing ministry, but there was such a change about him where he deserted Paul and he went and lived for the world. And this is something that derails many Christians. 
many professing believers who turn back and love the world and go and live for the world. Let me tell you, it's never going to be worth it. It's never going to be better than living for Jesus. And then you have Nymphus, and he was a church leader. He was one who had the church in his house, which tells us that the church can gather anywhere, can gather in a building, can gather in a home, can gather in a field, can gather at a beach, anywhere a church can gather because the church is not the physical location or the building. The church is the people. And the church gathered in that man's home, and I bet it was just wonderful. Then verse 16 and 17, we read, Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And I say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry to which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Now Paul understood that this letter would go around to many different believers, uh, that it would even come to our hands today in our Bibles, that we would do a nine-week study looking at this wonderful letter. And that's exactly what we've been doing. As Paul instructed this letter to be read aloud in the church, that's what we've been doing here. I've been reading it. I've been explaining it. I've been applying it to your lives because that is what believers are to do when they gather together. They're to take the words of God and they're to apply it into their lives. There was also this letter that Paul mentioned there, which was the epistle to the Laodiceans. Many people read that and are like, well, I don't see that letter in my Bible. And they kind of get tripped up. Like, where is it? Well, we know that the Bible is a closed canon. That, that the canon means the measuring stick. And for some reason or another, maybe because this letter was lost or the Holy Spirit just decided, you know what, that's not going to make it into the Bible. We don't have that bound within our Bible. But listen, you can find other letters that are supposed epistles from the Apostle Paul or uh, other letters from Luke or just different disciples that that wrote these correspondence that people wonder, well, aren't those scripture too? Well, no, we have 66 books in our Bible. And we believe that all of those books are inspired by the Holy Spirit, that they're in there because the Holy Spirit decided that they would be in there. And that book, those 66 books in our Bible, they are the Word of God. And the Word of God is able to transform a life. The Word of God is complete. It lacks nothing. It has everything in it that you need to know about God. And it has everything in it that you need to know about yourself. And so as we start our church, Calvary Chapel Palace Verdes, on September 27th, you're going to find a church that is about the Word of God, that is going to take all 66 books, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and we're going to faithfully exposit those scriptures so that you can know Jesus and be known by him. That's what we're doing. And so Paul signs off this letter, and we're going to pick up the Gospel of Mark the first week that we gather as a church on September 27th. But for Colossians, it says, This salutation by my own hand, Paul. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. Think about those words, remember my chains, how powerful they are, and how many people, uh, despite whatever circumstances they faced, 
They sought to bring the gospel into new communities. And, and that's what we're doing here in Palos Verdes. I'm thankful for the open door that we have and the freedom we have to be able to preach the gospel here in this community. But it might not always be that way. But while we have this effective door, guess what I'm going to be doing? I'm going to be speaking the mysteries of Christ. And so I hope you join us. I hope you would come to see the work that God will do through Calvary Chapel Palace Verdes. If you want to get connected more, find out ways that you can be involved in this new church plant, please reach out to us. We love you guys. We hope you have a blessed day. God bless.